1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. Now, here on Talking Biotech, we frequently discuss the idea of adding or deleting or editing, repairing a gene to achieve some sort of desired outcome. And in biology, we've been doing this for a long time, probably going back almost 50 years. But the toolbox we're using is typically derived from the components that biology gave us repurposing existing enzymes and their molecular control elements just in new ways. Now, one constant in plants is that we're typically solving gene expression issues with viral promoters, so the part of the uh, gene that turns a, a downstream gene on or off. Okay, so uh, it's turned on all the time. It's kind of like pounding a thumbtack with a sledgehammer. It, it, it's just on all the time, constitutively in all tissues, all times high level. And there's plenty of room for nuance. And so if we're going to tweak the knobs and dials that control plant processes, rather than just mash on one master switch, we need a finely tuned series of circuits that can provide precision in the timing and location of gene expression. So today our guest is Dr. James Lloyd. He and collaborators are one of several international teams working in this space. They are at the Australian Research Council Center for Excellence in Plant Energy Biology and the School of Molecular Sciences at the University of Western Australia in Perth, Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lloyd. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm a,
2: I'm a big fan of your work.
1: Oh, really? Well, th- th- thank you very much. I'm glad that you're here because this is a really cool topic that we really haven't explored very much on the podcast. So when we're talking about the ability to reprogram a plant using a synthetic circuit. What are we talking about?
2: Yeah. So our, the aim of what we're trying to do is better control of where, and when you turn a gene on within a plant. And I think our tools for genetic engineering at the moment in plants are a little limited. Um, so a genetic circuit is an, anal- uh, is analogous to an electrical circuit. And so we're not literally adding electrodes to the plants, but instead we're using the same mathematical principles that underlined the, the on and off true or false logic of electrical circuits. And we're taking those ideas into how we control um, where and when we turn genes off and on within a plant.
1: Yeah, but we can already do that, right? I mean, we've been turning on genes, turning off genes, deleting genes. Um, Now with gene editing, we can delete, you know, specific parts of genes. Um, Why do we need synthetic circuits?
2: Yeah, so I I think that's a, a really great point. And we've done fantastic things with breeding, with current genetic engineering tools, and with the advent of faster, better genome editing tools, like from CRISPR, we can do amazing things. Um, But I still think we're quite limited in some aspects. So for a lot of the genetically engineered crops, we rely on strong, always on viral promoters. And that's great if you're just trying to turn on a gene, like for insect resistance to get rid of pests that are eating your plant. That's great. But if you wanted to fine tune something, so for example, um, genes that are turned on to fight pathogens that are infecting a plant are quite often toxic and damaging to the plant. So they're they're like giving the plant an autoimmune disease. And as somebody with an autoimmune disease, I can tell you that's no fun. And fans would not want a plant that's always slightly sick because it's turning on a defense gene. And so if you can fine tune where and when those very strong responses are turned on, then we hopefully can get better uh, addition of new traits into the the crops. Many of the uh, inducible systems we have at the moment and maybe not the best for using in the field. They rely on often things like um, human hormones. So that's not really ideal for the field. So with genetic circuits, we're hoping to be able to have the best of both worlds where we can get strong induction of a a target gene that could confer a favorable trait, but we eliminate those side effects like the autoimmune disease-like features. Yeah, it's it's
1: interesting because you bring up the idea that we really don't have a lot of good controls for a plant gene and if you would have asked me in the 1990s how many will we have in 2023 i would have said a thousand because it seemed like we would have so many inducible promoters from either you know light or weird chemicals or whatever and really we still are with dexamethasone and maybe a couple other things that we can use as inducible promoters It's pretty surprising
2: absolutely i i completely agree and i i And even as an undergraduate, I spent some time working in industry as an internship. And, you know, this was many years, you know, over a decade ago now. And they were at the time talking about, well, what good inducible systems for the field are there? And that there was really a lack of any good tools. And I don't think things have progressed much yet. I've seen a couple of things in using things like light, for example, be discussed in the literature recently. And I'm hopeful that maybe they can be applied. But yeah, I agree with you. There's a lack of any useful tools when really, I think that should be a key focus of biotechnology in plants.
1: Well, how does biology already use Boolean logic gates and, and, uh, processes like this in natural processes? So,
2: yeah, I mean, it, it's sometimes hard to think about biology and reducing it to like true or false on or off. But I think that even if you go back to the very first characterized, uh, example of gene regulation, the lac operon, which is taught in a lot of biology undergrad classes around the world, and won the Nobel Prize in 1965, when I look at the lac operon, I immediately think, well, that looks like a gene circuit to me. So you know, it's turned on by a specific sugar, lactose, but then the preferred sugar, glucose, turns it off, and it even overrides the presence of uh, lactose to turn it off. So it acts as a, a dominant switch to turn it off. And that, to me, looks like what we describe in Boolean logic as an A implied B gate. And so we, even with that very first example, you can see how that does appear to look like a Boolean logic gate. Uh,
1: yeah, it's a, it's a great example. It's really kind of cool because we talk about all the different operons and, you know, our prokaryotic biology classes. And, and really, that's all they are. It's pretty cool stuff. So, so what's been done already in plants
2: using these kinds of recombinant circuits? so in plants uh not so much so microbes have years of advance on us um great circuit development in bacteria and yeast and even mammalian cell culture but i think um it's taken a long time for the plant field to catch up i think part of it is that we lack a good cell culture system which has really helped other systems and so often we're working with either you know isolated tissues or um, plants are working with the whole plants, which have very long generation times so that, you know, it takes a very long time to grow them. Um, but for gene circuits in plants, uh, we've seen a couple of systems being published uh, last year. One from myself and my collaborators at the University of Western Australia in, um, and in the lab of uh, Ryan Mester, where we uh, use recombinases to uh, turn uh, gene circuits on and off. We've also seen um, Jen Brophy at Stanford publishing an elegant system for the gene circuits using transcription factors um, uh, in plants, as well as uh, Jennifer Namhouse's lab in America as well, that uh, has built some systems of um, gene circuits.
1: Yeah, so let's go back and go through this step by step. Are these just specific promoters that are maybe synthetic, or or that have been identified that interact with a specific transcription factor that's that has some sort of um a synthetic uh domain or something that can be activated by a specific ligand or uh, are these things that are normally not found in biology that are placed into the context of the cell or are these just uh things that already exist that get a little bit of a tweak to be able to control them
2: uh that's a great question i think we see examples of uh, various different ways of doing this and a really core idea for Synthetic gene circuits is you want it to be insulated away from other activities within the cell. So you want at least some level of what we call in the field orthogonality, but really it's just a way of having it slightly separated away from uh, the rest of the organism. And, you know, maybe it's like off topic from your question, but um, one way I always think about it is when you're building an electrical circuit. You know, you've got to obey the laws of physics and the conditions that you're working with. But when you're working with biological circuits, you're really working with the laws of the cell. Yes, the laws of physics are fundamental, but within one cellular context, things can be very different from another cellular context. So, for example, some DNA sequences that, you know, turn on a gene that we call promoters, uh, these will respond very differently between different organisms, especially between plants and microbes or animals. They 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 really do function very differently. Other genetic components are shared between these different organisms. So um, that's a really major um, uh, issue. But um, for many of the gene circuits, uh, they use different components. So, for example, uh, the circuit system that I led uses recombinases. So these are. Um, enzymes that go in and they can cut out a particular region of DNA based on a recognizing a certain sequence. And so we were able to build gene circuits where we were able to have a promoter that would turn on gene. We have an output gene that we're measuring the levels of, but then we can put a sequence in between that to turn it off. But we use the recombinase to then cut that off sequence out on demand. And so we can Construct a simple well, one-input switch where the co- recombinase is turned on in the cell. It goes in, it cuts out that repressive sequence, and suddenly you've got an on signal. You can also do it in reverse, where you cut out the on signal, and suddenly your gene goes off. And you can do that in a in a very nice way, where you get a strong uh, off to on or on to off transition.
1: Okay, but what is the signal that activates the recombinase, like the the first signal that turns on transcription of the enzyme that either turns it
2: on or off? So, yeah. So, th- this is one of the interesting things that, as a plant biologist, I was very interested in trying to advance because a lot of the times you see all over the literature, um, the the Activating signal is actually just the presence absence of the, uh, the inducer. So it's, you know, very artificial. You know, you've got one set of cells that are turned on and the other set of cells are turned off by the presence of a genetic part. But in reality, when we want to go into the field, for example, with, you know, circuits in crops, which I think is, you know, at least it's my ultimate dream. Um, we would want one genetic circuit. That's present in all the plants, and it would switch between the off and on states depending on the situations it's exposed to. So when we published our gene circuits work in Nature Biotechnology in 2022, um, we a lot of our experiments were using that artificial on and off system by presence absence of the recombinase. Um, but we did also make some transgenic plants where we had an AND gate, which requires two inputs to turn on the signal. And in this case, it was in a whole stable plant. And we had one of the inputs controlled by a particular location within the root. And the other signal was turned on by a chemical inducer, one you've already mentioned called dexamethasone. And so that's, uh, becomes an artificial inducer of gene expression in plants. And so when we added the indu- inducer dexamethasone, we saw the, uh, on signal, but it was only in one particular part of the root. So we were able to get that and get logic because it was only when de- dexamethasone was present and only in that one specific cell type of the root.
1: Okay, so if we look at the plant toolbox, you know, like what are, what are some of the modular pieces that maybe already exist in plants? Like we've already talked about, well, we, we know about all kinds of repressors and all kinds of activators, especially repressors. I mean, gene expression is this combination of step on the gas and and pull off the brakes, right? You have to do both in, in most cases. So well, what are some good tools in the toolbox that people are thinking about using
2: that may be able to control these kinds of circuits? So you're absolutely right. Plants have evolved to respond to all sorts of signals. And it's quite interesting if you watch uh, animal researchers. they use a lot of plant-derived tools like light uh, uh, photoreceptors, light receptors, as well as hormone uh, receptors from plants to control their gene, um, you know, switches in animal cells. And so, you know, the problem for us is that sometimes we don't want interference between the natural system and our artificial system. But if we want to plug our circuits into the normal ways plants respond, we can connect it to certain light switches, potentially um, pathogen detection. So there's a lot of ways in which the plants can perceive, oh, there's this horrible fungus or bacteria that's trying to eat meat, send a signal. And so we can certainly attempt to tie our circuits into these natural processes and have them turned on, but in this very specific targeted way.
1: Oh, very good. So, so oh yeah, you mentioned light. Let me just clarify for the audience, which there's some folks who aren't plant people who are listening. There's some really cool... Photoreceptors in plants, which can serve as on-off switches, depending upon what wavelength of light you hit them with, last. So, pretty cool. You can turn them on with one color of light and then turn them off with another. Kind of good stuff. So, um, we're speaking with Dr. James Lloyd. He's a research association. <laughs> You're a research association. We're speaking with Dr. We're speaking with Dr. James Lloyd. He's a research associate in the university of western australia in perth australia this is the talking biotech podcast by Colabra and we'll be back in just a moment
0: this episode is brought to you by Colabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization with Colabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows Simplifying Scientific IP Governance, Compliance and Analysis. Visit Collabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.
1: And now we're back on Collabra's Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. James Lloyd. He's a research associate at the University of Western Australia in Perth. And we're talking about synthetic gene expression circuits and how we can have more nuance in the control and regulation of gene expression in plants and using some rather novel tools that maybe have existed for a little while in animal cell culture systems and, uh, or at least uh, parallel uh, to what's happening in animal cell culture systems and bacteria. And uh, you mentioned this term orthogonal. and, And so what
2: is orthogonality? So, I'm going to embarrass myself in front of some, you know, very nerdy synthetic biology people potentially. So, orthogonality means that your system is at least somewhat insulated or separate away from other functions within the organism. So, you know, this is very important for synthetic biology because you want to make sure that um, the system you're developing. Is able to function without too much interference from the rest of the organism. So, if the organism is undergoing um, major stress, for example, you want to try and make sure that that doesn't affect your gene circuit, unless you want to tie it into that particular uh, response of the organism.
1: Yeah. So, essentially, is making a parallel and independent uh, circuit that connects some sort of a activator to some sort of a response but doesn't really interconnect with the normal function of the cell. So it gives you a very tight control of some sort of process without causing noise in the background. Is that a good way maybe to describe it?
2: I, I think you did a better job than I did.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, I, I just listened
1: to you and repeated it in a different way.
2: <laughs> so so when
1: you describe, um, you describe diff- the different inputs connecting to a response, like dexamethasone, that kind of thing, what is a good example of that? If you looked in uh, in either bacteria or animal cells, or or maybe even a good example from plants.
2: So, um, yeah, there, there's uh, been a lot of work in different organisms, and so they've been able to, at least in bacteria, create really amazing um, sets of. Uh, 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 different inducible promoters that respond to different sugars and and different um um chemicals I regularly use and you can build incredibly different complex circuits that can re, uh, you know respond to many different inputs and so uh, you're layering lots and lots of different individual circuit components to make a very complex uh, circuit that you know almost parallels the processing power of very simple early computers um, and that's really amazing to be able to link that with what you're adding to the culture media to the you know the genetic computation that's taking path within the bacteria and then changing you know what output genes are being turned on. and I think there's a lot of interest in microbes for being able to turn on uh, synthetic gene circuits uh, to time exactly when you're turning on a particular set of um enzymes, potentially for making important chemical products, potentially high-value chemical products, which you may not want on all the time.
1: I see. So, because these things have an expense to the cell, and so maybe it's worth when you get to a certain cell density or whatever, then being able to add your
2: inducer and turn on that circuit, something like that. Yeah, that, that has been examined or potentially controlling. You know, if, if the bacteria was, let's say, in the environment, you know, you only want to turn it on when it's interfacing with a particular um, uh, environment or, or chemical potentially it could be used for bioremediation, potentially to clean up um, stuff in the environment that you don't want.
1: Yeah, I see. Well, a lot of folks are probably thinking, okay, this is super cool. It's a solution without a problem, right? But, but where can these kinds of tools be used in plants? as part of a plant genetic improvement strategy?
2: Yeah, so a, a solution without a problem, I think is a great way of putting it. And I, I like to think of myself as a technology person, a technology developer. So I built a system here you know, with, with amazing collaborators. We built this system, but to solve real world problems, I feel like what we need are domain experts in these different problems to work with them to be able to solve these real problems. So I, I think, you know, broadly when I think about this, um, I think about a plant growing in a very harsh environment, you know, high, high salt problems, high temperature drought, or potentially a pathogen uh, attacking the plant. And, you know, the, both the attack as well as the defense response can be damaging to the plant. And potentially we could try and enhance these defense responses with genetic circuits, like I was saying earlier, to try and limit the effects, um, so that you only turn on the pathogen resistance gene at the right time in the right place rather than having it turned on all the time and causing random spontaneous cell death uh, across the plant. Another example would be you know, if you had a very expensive um, chemical that you wanted to produce, but it was toxic to the plant, optimizing exactly when to turn it on would be great because there are examples where you try to grow um, it and it produce it in the plant and you grow up the plant and it just dies very early on, early on as a seedling because you know that thing is toxic and it's too much for the seedling to handle and I think a, a real life example of this is uh, vanilla. I believe that vanilla as a chemical is actually quite toxic even to the plant that's producing it and so it only has a particular part of the plant, particular cell type that it produces uh, or moves all the vanilla into. And so this safeguards the rest of the plant from the adverse effects of this. And so being able to do something similar to that with any chemical on demand in various different plants, I think would be a really nice uh, uh, goal for this sort of technology.
1: Well, let's talk about your system, the system that you and your collaborators, you and your collaborators developed. And this is a system where you activate a recombinase which then goes and turns gene expression on by removing a repressor so you have some sequence that's turning off the uh, normal transcription of the gene so it's a like a terminator that's put in prematurely and so how can this approach be useful
2: yes so uh the lack of reversibility of our system is certainly a limitation um but what this enables is our system has a memory. And so when you stimulate uh, the plant with a particular input, the response can be separated in time. Uh, there are many other circuit designs out there. And I mentioned like um, uh, Jen Brophy at Stanford has also recently published a beautiful system and they use transcription factors. And so they can be very rapidly reversed. Um, however, if you want to induce a new expression state and you want to prime, your, let's say you want to prime your plant a stretch, you know that you know something like a frost is coming or a heat wave is coming, you want to prime your plants, you can prime them and then you don't have to get the timing exactly right. You can then leave them and these memory circuits using the combinations that we have developed will stay on and so the window or the effectiveness of the output will be on for longer. Um, but right. if you need reversibility, you can certainly, um, you know, look to other systems, or uh, and you know, there's possibility of developing recombinase-based systems that have some level of reversibility. And I know that uh, Jennifer Nemhouse's lab in the US is doing great work uh, in that area. Yeah,
1: I, I saw her give a seminar recently, and she's done a lot with using the tools from the auxin pathway, and a lot of a lot of good stuff there. I, I guess the other point, though, is that once you turn it on or off using this recombinase-based system, it, it's not even meiotically reset, right? So this is this is not just in that plant; mm-hmm. it's in all subsequent
2: generations, right? It can be, and uh, there are some ways to try and safeguard against that. Um, so one example would be you have um, some sort of repressor in the in the stem cells and the meristem that produces the next generation to turn the system off. And that's something we've been thinking a lot about. Um, or you could use, um, we have developed a system where yes. you have, we have developed a system where you have two different halves of a recombine split. So you don't get any recombination until you activate both halves. And if you ensure that one of those halves is never turned on in um, those stem cells that would then go on to make the next generation in the marriage stem, then you would prevent recombination from occurring and being passed on to the next generation. Um, However, even if you do use a system where you would trigger the circuit and that triggered circuit would get passed on to the next generation because it's recombined the DNA, um, it would not be too dissimilar to how a lot of uh, crops are bought already as hybrid seeds. And so you can't collect the seeds from the next generation. So you would uh, probably treat it very much like you would treat uh, a hybrid plant, where you need to rebuy uh, the seeds from um, the producers. So the big question
1: for me on this is, (laughs) excuse me, (laughs) the big question for me is that this seems like kind of novel territory from a regulatory standpoint. So if you're going to develop really cool tools that allow you to turn things on and off with, with great precision. You're making something that's better that's more precise, that's safer, presumably, and how do they gauge potential risks in a regulatory environment and say this gets in the crop plants, how would this even be evaluated?
2: yeah that that's really interesting because you know obviously there's a lot of concern and fear over genetic modification approaches, and I think that it's really important um in a anything here to be, you know, go through all the appropriate testing, uh, processes and be compliant with the local laws. Um, you know, but this is fundamentally a GM approach. And so it, I think, it, you know, there are other GM approaches out there, including ones where there are many genes being put into uh, a plant. So I think, um, there's some canola, and uh, um, also known as oil seed rape, um, and, that produces the omega three fatty acids that are normally found in certain fish, and that has a lot of health benefits. And so that's an example of a multi gene trait that's been introduced into plants. And so I think you you know using the regulatory frameworks for assessing something like that. Hopefully, we can um, you know see a path forward uh, like they did. Um, but to me, I also see that you know GM and uh, Organic like farming, so low inputs, low carbon footprint. I see them as natural partners um, and as a, a way forward to more sustainable uh, farming and agriculture. And I, for me, um, you know, I think it's very important for us to try and reduce these inputs into uh, any industry and um, make it more sustainable. And I hope that these gene circuits are, are able to help in some way.
1: I, I, I agree 100% that this kind of uh, more nuanced uh, ability to control a transgene is really a cool idea. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of going around for what, 25 years, essentially using a sledgehammer to be able to drive, to, to pound a nail, when really you, this really can be done with a lot more care, right? And so what are some uh, potential impacts? Like, do you have any kind of really cool uh, dream ideas to where you would like to see this applied?
2: So uh, we, we are working on some ideas in very early development. And I, but yeah, I think really that every time I look at, you know, what the potential applications are, I keep seeing lots of possibilities. I think that um, anywhere from the area of like pathogen defense, which I've already mentioned a couple of times, or, you know, production of a particular chemical or drug in a timed way, I think those are really, Um, advertising opportunities or even any system where let's say you don't have a promoter that defines the the particular state that you want a gene to be turned on in so as a you know as a plant scientist or somebody who's looking at applications you might look at you know oh i've got this stress condition but it's not very natural to the plant it's artificial related to agriculture or or shipment of uh, crops and so uh, There's no one promoter that naturally turns on in one exact condition. Well, if you've got a couple, two or three different promoters that together define that particular state, then you can put them together, make them work together in a genetic circuit. And then you would have an output that would only turn on in that one very artificial situation. And so you can turn on your output gene that may have an effect on when in reality, no promoter may naturally exist that would turn on in that situation.
1: Now, really good. This is this is really an intriguing field for me, and and just the ability to be able to look at the next generation of potential transgenic or gene edited plants, which will have these much more uh, nuanced and controllable and modular uh, type of tools, is really exciting. And so. Who else is doing this kind of work out there? Or are there a lot of labs doing this? Or is this something that has been just uh by a handful of laboratories?
2: So there's been a lot of great people doing plant synthetic biology work, and a lot of those tools are really foundational in terms of actually producing uh plant gene circuits or systems uh that uh, you know, can be reprogrammed to create lots of different logics, so an end date or something else that does repression and you're repurposing similar components to do all of that in a programmable way. Um, you know, so uh, the Ryan Lister group here at UWA that I work with um, uh, has been doing this. So we've got the recombinase, uh circuits out. There's a preprint out for some CRISPR interference-based circuits that were led by my colleague Adil Khan, who's done amazing work there. And um, there's Jennifer um, Nemhauser who's done amazing, her lab's done amazing work on both, um, recombinase and, um, CRISPR-based circuits as well. And then, uh, Jen Brophy at the university of Stanford, uh, she, she's published a beautiful system where they have repurposed bacterial transcription factors to be able to control plant gene circuits. And so, you know, that, that, you know, that's a really, really elegant, um, study there.
1: Yeah. Do you think that the industry has, uh, Advances in this area that uh, they kind of just keep close to the vest, and we don't really know what they are, but that they're also working in this area.
2: You know, I really i really don't know, and I would love to find out if if, if anybody who's working in those areas wants to reach out to me and, and just get. I, I'm I'm genuinely just fascinated, I, I, and I I hope that um, people have a big enough imagination. To see the value in this because my one of my fears is that we're not going to be bold enough to try and move this forward you know it's it's a complex system and there's risks associated with it but I think I, I can personally see big rewards coming in the future from this so I really hope that you know people in the industry have that same vision and long-term thinking and can see a pathway forward to integrate this into into their work and maybe they've already done it and I just don't know about it
1: Oh no! I, it was kind of a funny question because if we knew about it, we would know about it, right?
0: <laughs> so I should, I should
1: have maybe rethought about that. I, I think it's fascinating. And I spent the last, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, I thought of the idea of can we break biology by creating completely synthetic molecules. And that works like a charm. It's a lot easier to break it than to make it do what you want. And, uh, and so this is really uh, intriguing stuff to me. If people want to learn more about it, where would they look
2: online or where could they follow you on Twitter? So I am still on Twitter at um, uh, James P.B. Lloyd. Uh, So people are free to follow me there. I'm also over on Mastodon at at James P.B. Lloyd at Genomic Social, which is a Mastodon instance for people interested in genomics that um, I help moderate on, or you can check out my um, blog, badgrammargoodsyntax.com and I write um, blog posts about teaching wet lab biologists how to program and analyze large data sets because that's a skill I had to pick up late in my career and learn how to you know analyze all these Bedomic studies, which has been a fascinating thing, but I understand it's a da- daunting uh, um, prospect for any any wet lab biologist who hasn't any you know understanding of like programming or coding. Yeah, d- tell me about
1: it. I, the funny part is, I feel so—I um, don't want to say lost, more like uh, outdated. Because I was really into uh, in the coding and programming in like 2010. You know, I was really good at it, and then I became a department chair and lost all my skills. <laughs> so I really need to get back to it.
2: I I, I so I, I stopped doing uh, as it is regularly while I started developing the punching circuit. So I stopped, you know, writing and an all logic in code and started trying to write it into plants. But now I've started to do more of it. And it, you know, it came back like the uh, proverbial um, riding a bicycle. So I'm sure that you will have no problem getting back into it. Well,
1: hey, I just have to find time to get some air in the tires. That's the problem. Well, James Lloyd, thank you very much for your time on this today. Please keep me posted when the next big stuff breaks, because It's a really exciting topic for me, and I really think frames the future as to where we're going.
2: No, thank you. And thank you for your time.
1: And for everyone listening, thank you for listening to another episode of the Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. Share with some friends. Talk about synthetic biology. What's happening where we're creating the circuits that are modulating how biology works? And think about some really cool ways this may be applied in the future of plant biology. This is a Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.
0: You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's Electronic Lab Notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at Calabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.